Welcome to A History of the Inca. Episode 31, Welcome to the Jungle. Hello everyone and welcome once again to A History of the Inca. I'm your host, Nick Mashinsky. We are back for another season of Incan History. I hope you are all doing well. In case you missed it, there is an episode prior to this one giving you all an update about the show. I'm going to give a quick and dirty version of it right now in case you skipped over it. The website is updated and you can listen to episodes there. The store is in its infancy. You can make a donation to the show at the end of every episode. The podcast will be releasing a Spanish version of the show beginning February 14th, 2021. So go tell your friends and family about that. And of course, have a listen to it yourself. I'm very excited about the fact that the show is getting translated into Spanish. But I'm also very excited and stressed because my wife and I are having twins come May. That is, unless they arrive early. Of course, that means this season will be a bit shorter than the past few. Honestly, everyone, if you want to hear more details about everything I just mentioned, I highly recommend that you pause this right now and just check out the update episode that immediately preceded this one. So go on, go check it out. Did you go listen to it? Great. One last thing. I wanted to say thank you so much for supporting the show, Robbie and Richard. I really appreciate your support. And if you would like to support the show, please go to patreon.com slash Inca podcast. Your support goes right back into the show, website upgrades, resources for research, equipment upgrades, etc. Of course, I'd love to be able to compensate Alicia and Jason for all the work that they're doing for the Spanish version of the show. So head over to Patreon to help make this podcast even better. And thanks. So it has been some time since our last episode for the narrative. Let's do a quick recap to remember what just transpired. Pachacuti, the ninth Sapa Inca, had just died and Tupac Inca Yupanqui had assumed the fringe. Pachacuti was arguably the greatest Sapa Inca to that point. Even today, I imagine there are many who would give him that title of greatest Sapa Inca ever, given what he had achieved. Now it was up to his son to run the empire. So let us return to Cusco, where we find a city still in mourning after losing their great leader, Pachacuti. Enjoy. Caracas from all over the empire made their way to the navel of the universe, Cuzco. Dressed in black, they paid their respects to their former Sapa Inca, Pachacuti. But they were also there to pay homage to the new Sapa Inca, Tupac Inca Yupanqui. We don't know when news reached the capital in the ears of Tupac Inca Yupanqui. It may have been while Caracas were still in Cusco. It may have been sometime afterwards. But whenever it was, it doesn't really matter. It happened. And Asuyu was in rebellion. 
There is a divide amongst the resources as to why it happened. Sarmiento de Gamboa states that it was because they refused to send palms to the Cori Concha as they were required to do so. Juan de Bentanzos insinuates that it was because of Pachacuti's death. And Bentanzos does have a point. A transfer of power had just happened, and there is hardly ever a better time to rebel than a transfer of power or a crowning of a new Sapa Inca. And that goes for any governmental system. It isn't difficult to see that those in Andesuyu viewed that the Inca were at a potential weak point with the death of their greatest leader. Thus, they sought to test the young Tupac Inca Yupanqui, and he would take up their challenge. Tupac raised an army, and with his two captains, Uturunku Akak and Kalko Yupanqui, set out towards Andesuyu. Meanwhile, his brother, Yamki Yupanqui, stayed at the capital to govern in the Sapa Inca's place. A note about Yamke Yupanqui. In Bentanzo's account, it was this individual who was passed over as the Sapa Inca in favor of Tupac, and who marched north with Tupac on the young Inca's first campaign. In the past, I've used Amaru Tupac Inca for that role. And if you read some sources, it is Amaru Tupac Inca who fills the same role as Yamki Yupanqui. Essentially what I'm saying is that Amaru Tupac in one source is identified as Yamki Yupanqui in another. I'm going to be using quite a bit of Bantansos' account going forward, and he uses Yamki Yupanqui. So I'm going to follow his lead and use Yamki Yupanqui going forward. So... Just to make sure you all get it, Amaru Tupac Inca, Yamki Yupanqui, same person, just a different name. I'm sorry if that causes any confusion. Let's talk about Andesuyu. First of all, where is it? Some of you may remember where this quarter of Tuatinsinyu is, but it has been quite some time since we visited it. I believe Pachacuti was seeking revenge for a possible assassination attempt when we last visited the area. So let's take a few minutes and get reacquainted with the place. Despite being the smallest of the four quarters and arguably the least populated, the easternmost province of Andesuyu was extremely important to the Inca Empire. This is the area that contained the Urumbamba Valley, better known today as the Sacred Valley, a place that contained many of the estates of previous Sapa Inca, including, of course, Machu Picchu. But it wasn't all about real estate. The region was a treasure trove of exotic goods. We are talking about the eastern side of the Andes now, the headwaters of the Amazon rainforest. Thus, the land was lush, plumage from beautiful parrots, palm wood for building, and even gold, all came from the region. Of course, so did coca. Coca, the all-important plant for rituals and sacrifices, grew well in Andesuyu. Chewed for its benefits of alleviating the effects of altitude sickness, 
The plant is still used widely today in the highlands of Peru. I really enjoyed sipping coca tea from my hotel room and at the local cafe in downtown Cusco. When I witnessed a gentleman faint from altitude sickness, local women came rushing over with coca leaves clutched in their hands to give to the man to chew. We had a pago at the site of Minaspata, where I insisted in survey work while in Peru. A pago, or payment, is a ritual carried out to pay Pachamama, the Earth Mother. In our case, it was for a favorable dig. During the ceremony, coca was chewed and burned as a sacrifice to Pachamama. Considering the field season we had while I was there, it could be argued we didn't offer enough. Today, the coca plant is world-renowned, and that is because of cocaine. We could go on a great deal about cocaine and its own history, such as its use in World War II during the German Blitzkrieg, or Pablo Escobar, to the drug use in America today. But let's bring this all back to our topic of Andesuyu. Andesuyu was a very, very, very important part of the empire, and the Inca needed it to keep all of those resources I just mentioned, and others, coming into the empire. Now, when I tell you that the terrain wasn't easy in Andesuyu, I can almost hear you stopping me and saying, of course, Nick, you've been saying this since episode two, the terrain wasn't easy, we get it. What makes Andesuyu so different? First of all, you are right, and I will keep saying it. Second of all, this area of the empire was difficult for other reasons than the other three quarters of the empire. Endosuyu was a jungle compared to the rest of the lands under Inca control. Part of Endosuyu was, after all, a part of the Amazon. The area was hotter and much, much more humid than what the Inca were used to fighting in. And the vegetation was thick. And I mean thick. It was difficult to see through the vegetation, let alone fight in it. As Tupac and his army would soon find out. To enter Andesuyu, Tupac split his army into three. Tupac took one army. His brother, Uturunku Akak, took another through a place called Amaru. Meanwhile, Chalco Yupanqui, likely another brother of Tupac, took his portion of the army through Pilcopata, carrying an image of Inti. And unfortunately, everyone, I don't have maps for you all with this episode. All I have is text to go off of, and exactly where some of these places are have either eluded me in my search for answers, or they currently go by another name. I'm terribly sorry about this, But, as we'll see, the routes don't truly matter on this campaign as much as the overall picture does. Now, though much of these lands were conquered by Pachacuti, that doesn't mean the land was necessarily familiar to the Inca. Plus, as I've said before, the land was dense. Scouts are said to have climbed up trees and looked for smoke to see where the next village or encampment was. And unlike much of the rest of the empire, there weren't reliable roads through the jungle. So to assist, logistically, Tupac had roads created as he went. 
Though they likely fought in jungle terrain at times during Tupac's campaigns around Quito, we don't necessarily have an account stating that the terrain caused any issues for the Inca. There seem to have been more set battles where the Inca and the groups that made up the Quito Confederacy met and fought. It was different in Andesuyu. Groups appear to have employed guerrilla tactics, hit and runs, ambushes through choke points and thick vegetation. And the Inca had a difficult time countering these attacks, simply because they were not used to them. The heat and humidity did a number on the Inca as well, as they were more used to the cool, dry air. Again, we aren't told of the Inca facing this issue around Quito, and of course, the army wasn't entirely made up of Inca warriors, but we are told that the soldiers became sick and died in the jungles of Andesuyu. At one point of the campaign, we are told that Tupac and his army became lost in the jungle. I imagine that this was terrifying for the Inca and his troops. They were in unfamiliar territory and terrain where the enemy could be hiding behind the very next tree. Fortunately for the Sapa Inca, Tupac and his army didn't fall into a trap similar to the Romans in the Tudaberg forest. Instead, they ran into Uturunku Akachi and his contingent of forces. The two brothers, along with Chalco Yupanqui, were able to conquer four tribes. The Aparatis, the Manosuyu, the Manari, and the Chunchos. This after the rebels of Andesuyu made the fatal error of abandoning their guerrilla tactics and instead amassed their forces for a pitched battle against the Inca. They were crushed. Meanwhile, the Inca captain Apu Kurimachi was apparently told by Tupac to follow the route of the rising sun. He went until he reached a river called Petiti. There, he established pillars as the eastern boundary of the Inca Empire. Though some of you may have heard the name Patiti in reference to a quote-unquote lost city of the Inca. So despite the initial setbacks and hardships of fighting in Andesuyu, the Inca were able to bring the region to order. Tupac captured the rebellious Sinchis, and though we are not told of their fate, one can imagine that they were either put into Kanjaguaki, with the jaguars and snakes, or simply executed. But the Inca did make friends too, with the Maxos, a people whose region covered a large area east of Lake Titicaca. And thanks to the Inca's foray into the Amazon, the bow and arrow was thus incorporated as well into the Inca army. When he returned to Cusco, Tupac begged his brother Yamki Yupanqui to tread over the spoils of the campaign. Now this is something we would expect a general to ask of his Sapa Inca. Definitely not what a Sapa Inca would ask of the governor of the capital. This act shows the deep respect Tupac had for his older brother, mentor, and in some ways, co-ruler. 
a triumph was then held for Tupac in his successful campaign. But as sacrifices to Wakas were being carried out, a dire message arrived from Koyasuyu. The southern quarter of the empire had risen in rebellion. <laughs> 